I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to the Modes of Mouth podcast with Harry Benjamin and Tim Sylvie. This is the place where we meet some of the biggest names in and around motorsport, chat about their lives and everything in between. We've partnered with the Brain Chimmer Charity, helping to raise awareness and help find a cure. Thanks to our partnership, we've been able to create a short series of special podcasts uncovering those within the motorsport community who have been affected by those devastating diagnoses. You can hear those stories and more, including the Williams F1 team's planning director, Richard Jones, right now on your chosen podcast player. The charity work all year round to help develop research and raise awareness. And if you're looking to challenge yourself this new year, why not sign up to the Brain Tumor Charity's Brain power challenge simply choose a challenge that will boost your brain health from meditation to 10k runs to mega sudoku and set your challenge to either silver gold or platinum difficulty level every penny you raise will be spent on the charity's medical research 250 pounds covers the cost of one day of world-class medical research into kinder and better treatments for brain tumors which really does make a difference Follow the Brain Tumor Charity on social media to learn more and to sign up. Boost your brain today to boost other brains tomorrow. Because a cure can't wait. This podcast is brought to you by F1 Experiences, the official experience, hospitality and travel program of Formula One. F1 Experiences is the closest you can get to the pinnacle of motorsport. And let's face it, any chance to get close to Formula One this year, we're all over it. Enjoy the very best race tickets and track hospitality, first class hotels and unprecedented access you simply cannot get anywhere else. For more information on how you can book your F1 experience, visit f1experiences.com where you can also save 5% on your very own F1 experiences package by using the code MOTORMOUTH when checking out online. So, 
What are you waiting for? Experience the 2022 F1 season firsthand with exclusive access courtesy of F1 Experiences. Get booking today at f1experiences.com. Hello, my name's Tim Sylvie, and today we're joined by a man who hails from Bromley in the UK but now resides in lovely Suffolk. And did you know, Harry, that Suffolk is home to the smallest pub in Britain? Yes, you can find the nutshell in Bury St Edmunds, which measures just 15 by 7 feet. But, Harry, can you tell me what else Suffolk is famous for in racing? Not the car variety, but horse racing. So the British home of horse racing in Suffolk is found at... Uh, <laughs> the British... Hang on, say that again. The, the British... The, basically, home, the home of British horse racing. Horse racing. Uh, I thought... What's well, not... I don't know. Uh, Come on. I don't, I don't know my horse ascots to any place I know. Um, Completely wrong. Newmarket. Newmarket. And I bet you knew that, didn't is you? That, oh, I did know that because I, oh, I, I spent three years in Norwich. So that's not too far away from, from Suffolk. Norfolk. Once again, appalling. Oh, I, appalling. I, I, I'm disappointed in myself. You know what? My brain's not really turned on at the moment. It's still, for enough. me, it's still early. I well, haven't come alive till the afternoon. Also, your brain is full of Formula 3 statistics because this yes. weekend, you have a very exciting weekend ahead of you. It's your first Formula 3 commentary. Uh, in Bahrain, well, you're not in Bahrain, but you'll be at Biggin Hill commentating Don't ruin the on illusion. Life. Yeah, um, you're kicking off on Friday. How's the revision going? Are you excited? Yeah, no, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, it should be good fun. I've done one race last year, filling in for uh, the the legendary Alex Jakes, but uh, I've got the gig full time this year, which is exciting. So, first race Bahrain, first time Formula Three is in Bahrain as well, and it's great because obviously it's F1, F2, and F3 all together, jam packed schedule. Um, so uh, yeah, and it's you know it's a 30 car grid it's absolutely wow. mayhem um, great young drivers you know 16 year olds all the way up to I think the oldest driver is about 22 something like that Ancient. so um, you know a few that are backed by some big F1 teams as well so it should be fairly exciting fingers oh, crossed well look best of luck with it um, I'm sure it'll go swimmingly I look forward to hearing your dulcet tones on my uh, my TV um, right should we go on to today's show <clears throat> I think so. Let's do it. So today we're joined by Mr. Gary Paffett, a DTM champion, factory Mercedes-AMG driver, a former Formula E driver and subsequently technical advisor. He's had roles with McLaren Mercedes and Williams in Formula One. He's racked up almost 200 race starts, multiple wins, podiums and pole positions. He's father to three boys and is partial to a spot of tennis and cycling. It's our pleasure to have him here to talk about his life, career, opinions and views. Gary Paffett, welcome to the Motormouth podcast. Thank you very much. Very much. Good morning. Good morning, Gary. Now, are you still are you Suffolk based at the moment? At this very time, you're near Newmarket, or are you? Uh, where are you these days? <laughs> I knew the answer to that question. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I, I've, I've been to, I've been to the home of race, home of home of horse racing itself. The uh, the, the, the where it was born. So, um, yeah, live very close to there. So, um, so yeah, I knew that one. But yes, I am. I'm in Suffolk. I'm near near based near Bury St Edmunds at the moment. So, oh nice. Yes, yes. I uh, have been here for 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 quite a while now. So yeah. Oh, very nice. Well, um, we like to sort of dive into uh, all of our guests' careers so far, where they come from. And every time I ask this first question, it always feels like it should be a question you ask in therapy. It's always like, well, take us back to, you know, how was your childhood? Was it good? You know, how are things growing up? But I suppose the bones of it are, was was racing always there at the start? How did, you know, the bug bite you? Uh, I think, uh, 
nothing it, it came it came from my father effectively i mean he he is a is a motorhead himself you know he was always a, a car mechanic at garages fixing cars and, and things like that and used to race himself he used to race uh rallies and things like that in a in a motor club just for you know for fun um and then went on to doing 210 villia gearbox car racing with a friend of his so he, he was always interested in, in motorsport and, and racing himself and you know he would also go on on trips to you know he went to monza to see f1 there and he'd go and go and watch f1 races so he was um he, he's always been a big a big motorhead and then uh when i was when i was eight years old um i think for christmas he bought me a cart um and and it started from there and i think you know at the time lots of people have different stories at the time my story was that it was just to go and have a bit of fun racing you know there was no i said no ambition obviously you want to you want to enjoy it but the only the only ambition was to have fun and enjoy racing because that was my dad's passion really so um i, I don't remember much about um you know it being interested in motorsport before then um I don't remember much before the age of about eight, really, to be honest. Um, so I don't, I don't think same. many people do, really. So to say that I've always loved it, it would be a lie, because I don't know, I probably did. But, yeah, um, yeah my, my parents uh, do yeah, talk about the fact that I always used to play with my toy cars and always used to do that, pretend races and stuff. So I guess I've always been interested in, in racing and cars. Um, but then I obviously really kicked off when I started, I was nine years old. I'm always interested to find out how people transition from carts into cars. And you moved from karting into single seaters where you immediately did very well, taking four titles in five years. How did that transition from carts to single seaters happen? Were you guided through that or did it, were you picked up? Were you spotted? What was that process like? Um, I, yeah, I mean, as, as, as you said, the car, the karting went, went very well. You know, I think it, it quite quickly, it went from, um, just enjoying it, having a bit of fun as a family to, um, oh, I'm quite good at this. And then, and it kind of just went from there, you know, and, and, and became more and more successful. I got picked up, um, by, by Martin Heinz, who owned Zipcar at the time, which were, you know, certainly at the time, one of the biggest cars and manufacturers in the UK, uh, one of the best teams out there. So I got picked up by Zipcar and I raced with them in karting all the way through until 96. Um, when, when I won the, the junior ICA championship and then, um, it kind of that kind of got to a natural end really um and we we were yeah waiting to to move into cars and actually we did a i did a year in in, in formula a in uh, in karting just actually to fill a gap mm. you know with, with zero ambition we had a me and there was me and one one mechanic um a, a friend of mine who used to tune my engine sean's pits and we had a, a small not not these transit vans you see now one of the small boxy ones yeah. um just tracked a couple of carts and, and just traveled the UK for a year, just competing, you know, just to keep doing something. Yeah. Um, it went pretty well actually, but, um, but that was it. And then end of 97, um, when I was, when I was old enough, we went, um, we went racing in cars and actually, um, we Zipcart as a company, um, bought a car and we, we went racing with, with bought a truck, bought a car. And that's how we went racing. You know, we didn't go and join a team. We didn't, we didn't look at anything else. The, the, the guys, there was one of the engineers that had been there for a long time, engineering, started engineering Martin Hines gearbox cars when he was racing. Um, he'd run Zipcar and, as an engineering point of view and decided to um, see if he could engineer a race car. And, and that was it. You know, him, me, my dad and a truckie. So cool. And it was something this, this yeah. is going to make you feel really old. So when were you born, Harry? 98? Seven. 97. So when mm. Gary started <laughs> taking racing seriously, you were basically a nappies. That's, 
Terrifying. Yeah, I, I definitely well, you can't remember the, before the age of eight. I certainly can't remember that. So um... <laughs> <laughs> but... I, the, the funny thing is, you say about the transition from cars to cars and how successful it was. Now, if anybody was at the first test I did in a race car at Snetterton, they would not agree yeah. that it was that successful straight away. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it takes. It take, you've got to get used to things, haven't Slip you? And so, yeah, the, the downforce and all of that sort of stuff. It, it, it's, yeah. yeah, you've got to you've got to hone your craft, I suppose. Um, but uh, it, it must have been an interesting time of your career if you can remember these bits I, I don't remember anything before I was about 12 my, my mind is blank so but it, you you did go on to win which I, I assume you remember this bit the McLaren Autosport BIDC Young Driver of the Year award um, in 1999 so Harry's sort of moving up through his his uh, yeah his, his, through my years his toddler stage and and then as part of that um, the reward for that you got yourself an F1 test for McLaren. Take, take us through that time of your career. That must have been hugely exciting. It was. It was. You know, I think the move into cars was a massive, a massive step compared to compared to what I'd done before. And um, it went pretty well. I, you know, our, our approach, which it had to be the approach, was that I had to keep winning. You know, there was no choice. There was no way of succeeding. There wasn't a, a, a pot of money. We didn't have money year on year to path the, the way forward. You know, that's why... When um, when I did uh, Formula Vauxhall Junior in '98, um, the first year we did the Class B, um, which I went and, and won quite convincingly. Um, the reason for that was that again I had to win to be able to make to, to be able to get the promotion and the, the success for the next year. Then, you know, I went on to win the, the Class A Championship in '99. I got a, a prize a prize fund for doing that, which helped pay for the next season. Um, Again, went into Class B, the national class of Formula Three. Um, I think won every race in in the UK doing that, and then, um, but that was actually called a scholarship class, and I won one hundred twenty five thousand pounds by winning that, wow. um, which then again paid for uh, a big part of my budget in in Formula Three in Germany the next year. Um, you know, I did two years, two years out. So yeah, at the end of ninety nine, I got um, nominated for the McLaren Autosport, which at the time was was a big thing to be in the top six drivers in, in British drivers at that time was, was, was massive. So getting nominated was, was a great achievement. And then I went, went to the testing, which went well. Um, nobody expected me to win. Really, they really didn't. You know, the people I was up against had more experience, um, higher profile. Um, you know, they, they were expected to win. And, and when I, when I won it, it was a massive surprise for a lot of people. Um, uh, so that was that was the first major step in my career. Stood up there with with David Coulthard receiving the award and then getting the the, the opportunity to test the McLaren. After that was was huge. You know, it was absolutely huge. Um, through the karting through the karting links um, with McLaren supporting some of the series, we had a quite good relationship with McLaren anyway. Um, so the test actually got um, the test uh, the reward test got delayed quite a lot. Um, and, and waited for a good opportunity. So they were quite nice to me, whereas a lot of the drivers get uh, an hour in the car at a wet, damp Silverstone. Um, <laughs> I went out to Jerez for a full day's oh, testing in Jerez in the sun. <laughs> oh, lovely. You got treated. Yeah, I did. I did get treated. Yeah, I got unfairly treated, but I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> How was that then, those first moments getting into that F1 car and leaving the pits? You know, what was that like? I imagine it was nothing like you'd ever experienced before. No, I mean, I'd, I'd driven an F, F3 car before that. And um, it's just incredible. You know, the 
the the the step in in performance and power and, and everything with with a car like that was just incredible. You know, this was back in the back in the days of the big V10 engines mm-hmm. with the massive wings, huge amounts of downforce. I mean, it was um, it was incredible, incredible experience. I think um, it was it was. Yeah, we, we were driving down to, we flew out to Spain, driving down to the circuit on the day before I was supposed to test. And I got a, a call from the team manager at the time, said, uh, whereabouts are you? And I said, well, we're about half an hour out. He's like, okay, so we, we finished testing for the day. So if you get it quick, you can have a run today as well. So I was like, you know, you, you, you're looking forward to that day of just, you know, getting used to the team, having a good night's sleep. And it was like, nope, get in the car now. You know, you're off. Um, so I, I, did a, I did a run the day before I was supposed to test. Um, just a shakedown run, which was good, and then uh, and then I started the normal day, and I think I did 14 laps, and it felt like my neck was going <laughs> to yeah. fall off, you know. And I was, <laughs> but apparently that's normal for most people that that, that get in there first. But you you think, wow, this is this is incredible. But I did um, I did a day um, that went that went incredibly well. You know, this was in December 2000. Um, Included so well that they invited me back in January to go and do some more testing with with them um, in MagnaCore, and, and the kind of relationship started started there with McLaren. It kind of broke up for for certain reasons over a couple of years, and we lost contact. But then, obviously, back in uh, 2005, I joined them joined them full time as a test driver. But yeah, that first experience was just like nothing else, yeah. just incredible. I was going to say, with that first experience, though, did that change your sort of mindset and your goals? Because I know you said earlier on that you, know, you didn't really have, didn't really know where you were going, that sort of be where the end result might be. But were you thinking now, okay, well, I, I, I want to be a Formula One driver, that's it? Yeah, I think that already happened earlier, really, that, that, that I wanted to, to be a Formula One driver. You know, once you start getting success in karting and, and, and you start realizing yourself, yeah, I'm pretty good at this. You know, I, I can I can do well at this. Well, obviously, like I say, the the path wasn't wasn't laid um, for me to get there because we were still going year by year, trying to find a budget, trying to find a way. Um, so it wasn't as if right in four years' time I'm going to be there. But then when I got to drive the F1 car and and, and how well the test went, um, at that point you think, yeah, okay, I, I can do this. You know, this is this is this is something I can I can realistically you know try and achieve. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's the sort of thing you find step by step as you go. You know, trying to prove to yourself how good you are really. And and motorsport isn't without its its challenges. I mean, you, you, up until this point, it sounds like everything's going relatively smoothly, but um, there are always hurdles and roadblocks. And um, financial troubles derailed an F three thousand drive in two thousand and three, but it didn't necessarily um, hamper your career because you went on to um, get into DTM and Mercedes. How did that process happen? Was there a point where you thought, oh God, that that F3000 drive is screwed. What am I going to do now? And then the DTM opportunity came. What what was that process like? Yeah, as you say, I mean, there's, there's even before that, there's times where, where it didn't go as, as planned. So, um, End of end of 2000, when I did my first year of F3 in the UK, the plan was obviously to go and do uh, F3 in, in the in the UK in the in the main championship. Um, and plans for that were going well until they got renegaded by um, a, a driver with a father with better links than me um, and more money. And that was already in probably January, February of, of 2001. Um, so then we had a very late call to try and find a drive, which meant I moved over to Germany to race with, with Team Rosberg over there. So that's when I first moved out of the country and went to race abroad. And then, um, as you say, end of 
actually end of 2002, um, I'd won the German Formula 3 Championship um, and I got a test in a DTM car with Mercedes. So I went along, uh, I did a test in the car and that went very well. Um, and they, they, they offered me a drive for 2003 in DTM. Um, I turned that down um, because my ambition was still single seaters. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I turned that down because my ambition was still was still single seaters, um, uh, and that's and that's what I was looking looking for. Um, again, I had a we had a an offer from a team doing F3, a new team to F three thousand that had um, uh, big prospects of of major sponsorship and it was one of them where you 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 get um we were suckers really actually yeah. probably but you know it was there you know you you had the this this person with all of the 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 the, the sponsorship things with coca-cola and virgin and all this over the car and we're doing this we're doing that um promise a lot but then quite quickly the the sort of wheels started to come off and and after we we did it we did it, the first official test barcelona went incredibly well by the next test in Imola, um, the engineers had left because they hadn't been paid. Mm. So we had we had chief mechanics engineer in the car at Imola for the test. Then we went to Imola for the first race, which was a, a disaster just because the, the team wasn't run properly. And then the, um, the Monday after the first race at Imola, which which at that time was um, already quite far through the year. It was in May, I think. Um, the guy called us up and said, okay, that's it. The team's closed. Oh, nice. So I got to May, I got to May um, and didn't have a drive. Now, a, a, a very, a very fortunate sequence of events that happened um, threw me a lifeline. So, effectively, Mercedes, um, Uwe Ausen had an argument with Mercedes, who was one of their works Mercedes DTM drivers at the time. He had an argument shortly before the first race with them about something, and they got rid of him, or he left. Whatever happened, um, then Christian Albers, who is in a, a Rosberg DTM car, got promoted to the works team. Um, so he took his car. And they put Patrick Heusman in the in the Rosberg car as a temporary fill-in um, while they sorted out permanent plans. That was for two races. Um, then, after I lost this drive, um, this was noticed by Arno Zenzen from Team Rosberg, who I'd I'd raced with in F3 for two years, so he knew me knew me well. Obviously, he was the person that had a seat possibly available. Um, so two days two days after I got a phone call saying there's no drive, I had a phone call from him saying, "Do you want to drive a DTM car?" <laughs> A quick interruption to the show to remind you to check out our sponsor, F1 Experiences. F1 Experiences offer a wide range of packages that come direct from Formula One, giving you a unique experience of the pinnacle of motorsport. Official ticket packages come with the very best race tickets, first-class hotels and transfers, and unprecedented access, including track tours, pit lane walks, VIP hospitality, and loads more. It really is the closest you can get to Formula One. And thanks to F1 Experiences, Experiences, you can return to the track this year and Motormouth listeners can save 5% on your next F1 experience package by using Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. 
Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. The code MOTORMOUTH when booking online at f1experiences.com. Um, wow, the universe then, works like in say, mysterious ways. <laughs> A week later, I was a week later. I was at Nurburgring racing my first my first DTM race as a professional driver. God, what a baptism of fire yeah. as well, Nurburgring. There you go, just go and drive yeah. one of the toughest tracks on the planet. Uh, yeah, I, I I crashed on the first lap. But I mean, what a, what, what a what a lifeline to be thrown as well. And obviously, you know, it, it, DTM it, in that era, I suppose, was was really you know getting better and better and it was sort of the classic eras I suppose was, mm. was great DTM racing how did you enjoy it then once you properly got into it and you know it wasn't before long you were made an AMG Mercedes works driver and then going for the championship and ultimately you did take the crown uh, in 2005 the same year you then signed as you said earlier for McLaren as an F1 tester so all of a sudden from nearly having nothing to suddenly yeah. everything coming at you in the next couple of years yeah it was incredible Turnaround. Um, you know, I got got to grips with the car relatively quickly. We had um, a couple of really good races in in 2000, um, 2003 in what was you know a year old car effectively. So I had a couple of really good races where I scored good points. Finished finished sixth at Red Bull Ring, um, especially which which impressed a lot of people. Um, and then yeah, as you say, I got promoted to the to the works team um, for two thousand four. As um, because the works team had four drivers at that point, so I got promoted to the works team as uh, effectively the fourth driver in the lineup. You know, there was there was uh, Bern Schneider was still there, Jean Lacy, uh, in his prime years of DTM, um, and and myself joining as the you know fourth fourth driver of the team. Um, I went on to finish to finish second to Matthias Ekstrom and beat all three of them that year, um, which was which was nice. I, I I won my first my first race in in the car um, at Hockenheim, um, which was which is incredible incredible start to the year. And actually, you know, 2000, 2005 I won the championship, and two thousand and four I think was actually probably a better year to be honest. Um, I, I had I got um, I got disqualified from one race from one win for for running out of fuel. Um, um, I, I think I won. I think in 2004, I won five races in a row, um, which was which was incredible. I said I got disqualified from one. Another one of them was an invitational race we did in Shanghai in that year, which didn't count for, for points anyway. Um, so, yeah, 2000, 2004 for me was as good, uh, certainly, as, as 2005 was. The difference was there was no expectation in 2004. 2005, suddenly, okay, now you're expected to win. Um and 2005 was one of the most incredible seasons of racing I've ever had, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, an incredible year. And like Harry said, you won the championship and, and you became a mainstay in DTM. 2007, 2008, 2009, of course, 2010, when you narrowly missed out on your second title, um, losing out to Harry's idol um, PDR. Love a bit of Paul Duresta. He's idol. Oh, wow. No, don't. I'm an idol. I'm underplaying it. It's more than an idol. It's like... No. I, I not know. I'm just... Obsession. I, I, was just a, I was just a fan of Paul Duresta, right? I was just a little bit of a fan and then I met him and I heard, there was a lot, heard a lot of things about him so then I met him and he was an alright guy and idol's a strong word. But, do you, do um, you have a model I, of Paul Duresta's car in the room that you're in right now? I actually have his DTM car. Yeah, Sorry, Gary. Exactly. I do actually have his DTM car. I yeah. do. I know. I mean, who has that? But, who has that? 
Yeah, I, don't, I just always, I don't know. I, I, I have some. I have some models. Oh, is that? Yeah. mine. It's another PDR fan. Oh, of your car. But you know what? Actually, you know what? I always, Garrett, when I, when I got into DTM, I started watching it in, in 2012, maybe. And um, that was when I kind of became really fascinated by like racing properly and, and motorsport and wanted to kind of get involved. There's a Euronics store down my road. Mm. And every time I walked past it, all I could think about <laughs> was, was your DTM livery from those years with a Euronics label black. Because I was like, I've never seen a Euronics store anywhere else apart from down my road. And then I saw it on a DTM car and I was like, oh, okay. Well, the, it must the, be uh, fairly big. The, the regulations changed in 2012, didn't they? There, there was uh, yeah. a, a relatively big shift. Did, did that, was that a good... Uh, the, Casting your mind back, was that a good thing? Did that did that help or, or hinder? It helped me. It helped me for for sure because um, I'd, I'd been there quite a long time in DTM. So it was a, some 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 years you have good years, some years you don't have great years. But one thing was for sure that I was I was always thought of as a very good uh, test driver and developer of, the, of a car. So whenever we had a new car, a new concept, I always got to test it quite a lot because that's where they get the most progress. So. When we had the new the new car in 2012, I did most of the testing, uh, which gave me a bit of an advantage over the others, but also got the car up to speed as as, as quick as it could have done. So, for 2012, um, it was one of them years. The car the car felt pretty horrible actually when I first tested it. You know, it had big wheels, it had a, a carbon big carbon chassis instead of the the space frame uh, metal chassis, um, and and it felt a bit heavy and a bit cumbersome to be honest. When we did the first testing, it had a paddle shift instead of the stick shift and it was. Um, it didn't feel amazing to start with, really. Actually, when I first tested the car at Hungary, I thought ah, it just feels a bit, bit slow, to be honest. Um, but you know, we we developed the car, got the car feeling better, and then um, went to the first race at Hockenheim and just destroyed everyone. I mean, just absolutely destroyed everyone. I, I mean, myself. I think Jamie Jamie Green got a got a got got the lead from me earlier in the race, um, and I kind of hunted him down, overtook him, and, and the pair of us were miles clear of anyone else. And the thing is that every year is the same. You never know how quick you are until you get to that first race. And you finish that first race and go, wow, this is, this is something else, this car. Um, I, I lost that championship in the end, though, so that was <laughs> <laughs> People caught up. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was definitely, um, when you have something like this, it's nice to have a new, a fresh start, you know, and that was what it was really for me at that point, was it was a fresh start with a new car, and, and um, it did sort of, yeah, push us on. And I was that was that that year. You know, I finished I finished second in the championship four times in DGM. Um, that year hurt. That year was tough, to be honest. The, the, the hardest. I think after that season, that was the toughest I've ever felt, and the most time I've had to have a way to to deal with things. I think I was I was leading by something like forty points or something. I mean, it was a huge huge lead. Um, and BMW just just overdeveloped us during the second part of the year, and, and they caught up and. Um, and and they you know, beat me by a couple of points in the end. Bruno beat me by a couple of points in the end, which was more even worse because I really don't like Bruno Spengler after being his teammate for many years. So um, yeah, that was that was tough. That was tough to take, to be honest. Yeah. Oh well, we'll use, that's the clip. Uh, we'll put that out there on the socials. Clip that up. Nicely. He knows it. Honestly, he knows it. He really? knows that I like him. I've made it pretty clear over the years. Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. but there's a few of them like that as well. Actually, really? there's more than there's more than one. Yeah, I mean, is Paul DeResta one of them? No. Or uh... <laughs> <laughs> bit like Marmite? What, what, what makes you think that? <laughs> don't worry, don't worry. We, we were we were we were competitive teammates, and that's what's difficult when you're so competitive as teammates. It makes it very challenging as yeah. to have a relationship. You know, well, going through all the these, um, well, obviously 
greatly successful times, but as you say, also naturally frustrating too. You're keeping your toe in Formula One as well with McLaren. But then if we fast forward a little bit, you did switch to Williams, right, uh, as an F1 tester briefly in 2016, I think it was. So what what was going on at that time? What, why did the switch come about? Were you still happy being a tester in Formula One? <laughs> yeah, I left McLaren because they... Um... They didn't want me involved with the team anymore because I was a Mercedes driver and that's when they signed uh-huh. Honda. Um, and Honda didn't want anyone involved with Mercedes working with them because obviously their powertrain was so incredible at the time. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was the one Alonso called a Formula 2 engine, wasn't it? Yes, a GP2 <laughs> yeah, engine. Yeah, yeah GP2 <laughs> engine, that was it. So, um, yeah, so no, as soon as as soon as soon they started ramping up the development with Honda, they, they just got rid of me basically because they didn't want me around. Uh, so that was in 2013. Um, and then I was, um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't do anything in F1 for a couple of years. And then, um, yeah, an opportunity came up with, um, with Williams, you know, a few people that I know joined there, you know, especially there was a guy called Jakob Andreasen, who was, um, an engineer at McLaren for a long time that I worked with in testing there. Um, and he'd gone there and he was one of the senior engineers there and he yeah, got in touch and said, do you fancy doing some, some work for us as, as a test and simulator driver, basically. So developing the simulator, um, do some testing. I, I did some track, I did a track test in, in Bahrain and the season test in Bahrain as well with the team. Um, and I did a lot of work with, uh, with Lance Stroll there over the winter as well, getting him up to speed, uh, ready for his first year. So, um, yeah, a combination of things, actually. Mm. And, and moving, uh, skipping ahead slightly, 2018, that must have been a, a sort of a, a great year, a memorable year, but also a sad year. It was your last season in DTM. Um, you signed off by winning the championship in Hockenheim, as we know, when I think you came third in that race, but won the championship regardless. After 15 years in that championship, two titles, four vice championship uh, ticks against your name. What were the emotions when you decided to finally call it a day? To be honest, I think the emotions of calling it a day happened quite quite early. I mean, you know, you see manufacturers come and leave championships and a lot of them do it in quite a bad way. You know, I think that some of them, um, I mean, who expected Audi to pull out of LMGH like last week? Mm. You know, that, that really was unexpected. And I think even drivers that expected to drive the cars didn't know before they read it in the press, which is an absolute nightmare. You know, Mercedes called, uh, Mercedes called, Toto called a, a meeting with all the drivers 18 months before they pulled out to say, this is what we're doing. Um, so every, everyone went into 2018 ex- knowing exactly what was going to happen. You know, we were pulling out. This was the last year. You know, there wasn't any upset. We were just completely focused to make that the best year we could. Um, and and we did. You know, I think the regulations-wise, um, they tightened a lot of things up, um, stopped the... Um, excessive spending of Audi on aero development um, helped them be successful, which, which was, which was always the same in DTM. Um, and it, and it kind of suited our car, the new regulations. And we started off in the year in a really strong, really strong way. So yeah, 2018 was a, a fairy tale end to it really, you know, for me, for my whole career, um, that second championship was something that was missing, you know, from DTM having won it once quite early in my career, I was hunting after that second one for, for years, um, for years, and and 2018, it just all seemed to it all fell together. 2017 was a building year. I had two new engineers in 2017. Um, you know, we were working together and, and and trying to trying to understand each other. And then 2018, everything kind of fell into place, and it all um, it all went very well. But no, there was some fantastic races, and and I, you know, 
some some years it's if you find it very difficult um to do things 2018 for me okay it's always a challenge but it was just just enjoyment through driving and qualifying especially that year i just found the car so so nice to drive and i just for, for myself you know i i've not always i've not always been the best qualifier in a, in a car but that year uh, it was just excellent you know we were just qualifying so well and, and it made it made the whole year so much so much easier really so it was um yeah, it was an incredible way to finish. And, and for me, fantastic personally to get a second championship because so many people have won one DTM championship. There's such a big list of people. Paul DeResta being one of them. Well-deserved. There is so many people that have won a championship, you know, and there's not many that have won more than one. There's yeah. not many that have won two. Um, you know, you're quite a small group of people. So it was great to get that second championship. Yeah, uh, and, and very much well-deserved, far more so than Paul DeResta would, would ever have been. Um, now, let's skip out of uh, DTM. Obviously, you've had a very successful and a long career there, and but you've, you've delved into the world of electric racing um, and worked in Formula E um, as development driver and then sporting and technical advisor for Mercedes EQ, who have done very, very well themselves. You're clearly doing something right to earn your keep there. Mm. Um, must be a great experience trying something new after all those years in DTM. Yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, it, it happened quite organically, really, because HWA joined Formula E. So effectively, we um, we actually cut the cut the party short after winning a championship. It was incredible. We never really got a chance to celebrate the championship because the Sunday night we cut short because we were up early Monday morning flying to Valencia for the official test um, wow. on, on Monday. So, so yeah, that, that was and that was most of the crew, most of the DTM people, really, the mechanics, the engineers, all of us just moved from DTM, formerly, that's wow. it, away you go. And, and the same sort of thing. We had a few, I think we had one person that had um, formerly experience. The rest of us all came from DTM or, or somewhere else. So, um, you know, again, the, the reason, the biggest reason I was there was just to help build the team, to be honest. You know, I, I think obviously I was... I was a good driver as well, but just to help come and build this team and get this team to where it needed to be. And I think in in uh, in in three years, from season five to, to the end of season seven, winning two world championships, I think we've done a pretty pretty excellent job. And as you say, my role in that team changed quite a lot. So I was racing the car in in season five. Um, in season six, I went into um, a different role, which which was quite vague, to be honest. It was kind of a um, we wanted to be part of the team doing something, helping us, but not really have a job title. I think it was an advisor, you know, technical and sporting advisor. And I was still reserve driver and doing simulator work at the time. Um, that role has kind of expanded and, and yeah, I say it's obviously doing something right because they're giving me more responsibility now. So I'm, I'm uh, for this year, for season eight, I'm team manager now, as well as, uh, as, well as a sporting oh, wow. advisor for the team. Awesome. So. It's um, yeah, that that side of things for me is going strength to strength, um, and it's something I'm really enjoying. And yeah, the, the the feeling of winning, although not being in the car, the feeling of winning the, the world championship last year, drivers and teams was just incredible. You know, such a such a team effort and and just an incredible feeling. So I'm um, I'm thoroughly enjoying it. Yeah. Brilliant. Oh, well, we were going to ask what does the future hold, but clearly there that, that sort of where where it's going <laughs> and 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 that that change from, you know, being in the cockpit to then being in the garage, was that, uh, you, I think you said, fairly natural, but has that been challenging to adapt to or has it been something you're relishing? I, I found it quite easy, to be honest. I think that the amount, you know, even when I was in DTM um, for so many years, I was I was doing a lot within the team, you know, within the structure of the team, working with the engineers, working with, with Uli Fritz, 
um, who were obviously running in the team at the time, you know, uh, sometimes for, for certain years, talking to Uli about who else we're going to sign and who's going to be whose teammate, things like this within the team. So I was, I, I, for, for, for one year and probably for the end, the last few years of my, my DTM career at Mercedes, they, they effectively not even just called me, but I was, I was the team captain of the drivers basically. So even when I was still racing, there was, if, if there was anything that drivers needed to be done within the team or anything else, I was the person that went, that went to sort it out. You know, I was the team captain of drivers. So that whole organization side of things. And so it happened quite, um, it happened quite naturally for me really. Um, and a lot of the things I'm doing, a lot of the things I'm doing seem to um, just come again quite naturally to me because of the experience I've got in in DTM in in Formula One, um, and now obviously having raced in Formula E for a year, um, it's it's not been a massive challenge. A lot of the other stuff involved with the running of the team and management of the team are slightly different, obviously. Um, but I think um, having this, the foundation that I have working as a, as a driver at this level. For, along it's um set me up pretty well yeah it's it certainly has you've had a very interesting career now um time is against us so we're going to move on to our final three questions which we ask all of our guests and they throw out <laughs> a myriad of different answers i did see these yeah. um, so, <laughs> oh, so you've, you've done i hope you've done your prep here we go uh, the final three and these these questions are brought to us by our friends at f1 experiences harry do you want to kick off with number one yes gary what has got you excited at the moment at the moment, I am very excited about uh, Formula One racing next weekend yeah. or this weekend. This weekend, um, yeah. no, I, I am. It's um, you know the start of a new season is always is always interesting, and the regulation changes. I, I can't wait to watch. To be honest, I'm still a big fan of motorsport, so yeah, very good. It's boring because it's motorsport related, but <laughs> no, yeah. no, we like it. Um, I, I guess it's the same for me and Harry. That's the thing we're most excited about. Well, Harry, I guess it's F3 for you. That's the thing that you're going to be most excited mm. about this weekend. It's going to be 20 past about, eight, uh, GMT, Friday morning, practice for Formula 3. Don't miss it. I'll be there in my pants in front of the telly. Here's an image for you. Um, okay, your second of our final three. What's your favourite <laughs> racing destination for any reason? Uh, yeah, my, 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 my favourite race destination for many years was was Zandvoort. Just thoroughly enjoyed driving the circuit. Always went pretty well there, um, certainly recently. And and just yeah, being there on, on the beach is quite unique. So um, yeah, definitely, definitely one of my favourites to go to. It was certainly a massive spectacle, wasn't it, when F1 went back there last year? Yeah, um, yeah. Final question for you, Gary, before we let you go. Um, Paul DeResta or Bruno Spengler? No, um, <laughs> what, are, what are you scared of? <laughs> That's the actual question. And well, okay. <laughs> What am I scared of? Um I don't know. Not a lot, to be honest. Okay. I don't I don't know. I don't know what I'm scared of. Um, are you okay with like bugs and stuff like spiders? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah like spiders, bugs, all that. I'm fine with that. Okay. Um I don't I haven't, I haven't been around snakes too much, but you know, held a couple and they're okay as well. So <laughs> not afraid of <laughs> so, anything. No, I mean, I don't know. I, I probably am scared of some things, but Nothing that I can think of, really. You know. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, you're, you can have that. It's okay. I Gary like roller Gaffet. coasters. I like roller coasters, things like that. Yeah, bit of adrenaline, adrenaline junkie. junkie. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's what most yeah. of us. That's why you become a racing driver, isn't it? Half the time. Yeah, exactly. Uh, 
Well, look, Gary, we have kept you for far uh, too long already. Um, but thank you so much for, for taking a bit of time out and uh, for battling through with the countryside Wi-Fi as well. But Gary Pathet, what an absolute pleasure to uh, to get to know you a bit more and chat about your career as too. Gary, thank you so much for coming on to the Motormouth podcast. No, thank you very much for having me. Thank you. Before you go, one final reminder to check out F1 Experiences, the official experience, hospitality and travel programme of Formula One. F1 Experiences is the closest you can get to the sport. Official ticket packages, which include the best race tickets, first-class hotels, travel and exclusive behind-the-scenes access across a Grand Prix weekend. F1 Experiences offer packages like no other. So, to book your F1 Experiences package, head online to f1experiences.com and if you enter code MOTORMOUTH, you'll get 5 percent off too thank you so much for listening to the motormouth podcast do make sure you give us a follow on our socials twitter at motormouth underscore instagram at motormouth underscore official and facebook just search motormouth you can also download the motormouth app where you can get exclusive video content from mmtv create your own social profile to interact with other fans and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy we're also proud to be supporting the brain tumor charity too so make sure you check the links in the podcast description to find out how you can help cure brain tumours quicker. Don't forget to like, subscribe and review. And until next time, you've been listening to the Motormouth Podcast. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.